electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, Meta investors smashed the like button after earnings, and Mark Zuckerberg may be giving them even more reason to cheer. It lives. A Tesla Cybertruck spotted in the wild. We've got exclusive picks to show you and want to hear what you think. Will artificial intelligence be San Francisco's savior? Surprising comments from the mayor. Gasps, last gasp. It's the new CEO. Is the CEO or the former executive at Mattel behind Barbie's revival? Can he save the battered retailer? Plus, the luxury travel boom may get even hotter. One of the largest hospitality owners in the country joins us and X'd out Elon Musk swiping a Twitter handle from the guy who had it for free. And that guy is here. That and much more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. You know, I chunked that open, gaps, last gasp. I actually even practiced it and still botched it. Good evening here, good afternoon out west. I'm Brian Sullivan. We're going to get to all those stories during the hour, but first up on last call, lucky number 13. The Dow closing in the green for the 13th session in a row. That ties the all-time longest win streak for the Dow since January of 1987. So that, of course, means tomorrow could be a record-setting day. We end higher, folks. We go in to the market history books. And here's the rather random but profitable trivia. On January 20th, 1987, the Dow closed at 2,107. Today, 35,520 for a jump of 1,589%. You made a lot of money. So what else was happening back in January of 1987? Well, I was midway through a miserable year in 10th grade. Eddie Murphy was the box office king with the golden child, Shake You Down by Gregory Abbott, topping the Billboard charts. And the New York Giants were pretty good at football. They were just days away from crushing the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl XXI. All right, but coming back to the present, there were some signals from the Fed today causing a bit of indigestion for investors. They, of course, hiked borrowing costs again by a quarter percent. That brings rates to their highest levels in more than 22 years. But here's a sully side up. During his press conference, Chair Powell said that the Fed staff no longer projects a recession. Huh. But it was this comment that caught particular notice. We don't see ourselves getting to 2% inflation until, you know, all the way back to 2 until 2025 or so. Wow. 2025. Now, as you can see, stocks lost steam after that comment. But it still wasn't enough to end one of the most historic runs on Wall Street, at least for the Dow. For more on the markets, the Fed decision, what it means for your money, let's bring in one of the biggest bulls and most right guys on Wall Street, and that is Fundstrat, global managing partner and head of research, Tom Lee. Tom, good to have you back on. And we want to start, this is unbelievable, we want to start with the big prediction 
that you made the last time you were on this show. So listen to, you know, you. By July 26th, we'll have rallied 195 days. There's never been a bear market rally that's lasted longer than the decline. Mm-hmm. So by July 26th, we're, it's proof that we're in a bull market. Yeah. It just so happens that today is July 26th. We tied the Dow record. So, Tom, are we in a bull market? Uh, using the data that the other Tom Lee said, it's yes. <laughs> um, there's never been a bear market rally that's been longer than the preceding decline. So uh, I would say that is kind of proof. And I believe there's enough fundamental catalyst in the next six months to sort of support stocks moving higher. What was that stat? There's never been a something, something longer than the other yeah. thing. So it's it's really a, a matter of symmetry that the decline, you know, the drawdown uh, in 2022 was 100 95 days, there's never been a bear market rally that's lasted longer than the decline. That That's what makes today, actually, coincidentally, July 26th, you know, an important turning point because it does sort of essentially shatter the idea that this is a bear market rally. Yeah, I mean, do, is that, so we don't call it that anymore. I don't think I've called it that anyway, but if we, it, to your point, this is no longer a, quote, bear market rally. This could be the start of something good because we've had guys like Ryan Dietrich and Paul Hickey and, and folks like yourself who've brought all these cool historical stats where when we get these kinds of gains and whatever time period, like literally 100% of the time, the market is higher a year later. That's right. Um, I think it's still very tough for a lot of investors to accept because uh, among our institutional investors, the vast majority, so it's a very large percentage, believe this is a short-lived rise in stocks until the recession arrives or because valuations have gotten so extended as a bubble. So I think there's still a, a, a lot of skepticism out there, Brian. Well, there is. And you heard me say that interest rates, I don't need to tell you, but interest rates are at 22 year highs. And, you know, Jay Powell still sound, sounding rather hawkish. But again, without taking anything away from the Fed or our coverage of the Fed, by the way, Tom, is the Fed in the rearview mirror? Even if they raise rates again, like, like is, does the market have to look past the Fed? Uh, it's tough because, you know, the, the Fed remains the most powerful entity in the world. So it, as long as the Fed isn't bothered by the rise in stocks, the stock market will be fine. And as you know, the biggest war the Fed is fighting is inflation. So I, I do think today's press conference was pretty revelatory in terms of how they view the inflation war. And, but as long as they don't think the stock market is causing inflation, mm-hmm. uh, I think stocks can do quite well. You know, to, yeah, Jeff Gunlock today was saying that basically that they're you kind of try to predict when the Fed will begin cutting rates. Do you think the Fed will begin cutting rates next year? Uh, that's it, it's it's a plausible scenario. And I think one of the important things Powell said today was that the Fed would stop raising before we get to two percent inflation. That's something that's been lost on a lot of investors who've been waiting for the Fed uh, waiting until inflation gets to before they think the Fed stops. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. And I do think the glide path for inflation has been encouraging because even Powell said that the CPI for June was better than expected for a change. That's the first sort of relatively positive comment about the mm-hmm. trend of inflation. So I, I think cuts are possible, but that's not what would sway markets. I think if the, if, if the market saw one or two hikes as the end of the hiking cycle, 
that's what would really ease financial conditions. I, and you can't blame people for asking that, Tom. I mean, we've gotten addicted to this idea, because, and in part because the Fed has done it, that they're either raising or cutting. It's like got to go be going this way or going that way. There is a chance, is there not, that the Federal Reserve, once they pause, stop, whatever, raising, they could just sit there for years. Uh, yeah, that's a possibility. I mean, that's if we have a, if we achieve a soft landing, but it, inflation isn't softening fast enough, they could keep the dial at five and a half percent. But if inflation starts to move on a glide path lower, as as Powell mentioned today, then it would be appropriate to start cutting because they don't want to necessarily over tighten financial conditions either. Yeah, amazing. Hey, by the way, Tom Lee, not the drummer, Tom Lee Fundstrat. Great call. You said July 26th. Today's July 26th, and we, and we tie that record on the Dow. Really appreciate it, Tom. Have a great night. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. Meantime, let's get to your studs and duds of the day. The biggest winner, Union Pacific Railroad, powering up 10%. Better results than some feared. They also got an upgrade. The biggest losers, CoStar Group. That is an online real estate marketplace that got smacked down 8%. All right. We are just getting started here on Last Call. And coming up, Meta's monster comeback. Got some breaking developments from the earnings call and a number on how much one group is losing that you have got to hear. Plus, the Loch Ness monster on the left. Look at that big foot. The abominable snowman. And now, the Tesla Cybertrucks. The Cybertruck exclusive pick you got to see coming up. Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning. And listen up, Californians. California's power grid operator issuing an emergency watch saying the heat in Southern California putting stress on resources, which leads, could lead to energy deficiencies across the power grid. Fancy words for there could be times that some of you don't have power or enough power to run things like your air conditioning. That watch is in effect until 10 o'clock p.m. Pacific tonight. Good luck. All right, next up, Chipotle stock down, seeing a big decline after hours. That's after missing expectations on sales. The stock, though, very strong year, up about 50%. The CEO spoke on uh, with Jim Cramer last hour, and here's what he had to say on inflation and pricing. Inflation is still showing up in both labor, kind of in the mid-single digit range. And if you exclude kind of the great um, kind of pullback in costs on avocados, you are still seeing mid-single digit inflation. The good news is we've got tremendous pricing power so that if we need to pull that, we can pull that lever. Nickel saying the company will make a decision on potential price changes. In other words, let me let, 
Take a guess which way the prices may go. Up or down? <laughs> By the fourth quarter. Finally, some good news for IMAX. Shares of the movie theater company seeing a pop after hours. They beat. They had a 38% jump in revenue thanks to some good movies. All comes the box office starts to reboom. You might have heard about Barbie. You might have heard about Oppenheimer, the latter of which, by the way, is being screened in IMAX. All right, in the meantime, Facebook's earnings calls generating some buzz with investors, but so is one really big number. Julia Borston joining us now with the latest. Julia. Brian, Meta beating expectations across the board, accelerating revenue growth and guiding to further revenue growth acceleration in the coming third quarter. CEO Mark Zuckerberg kicking off the call with a positive outlook on that new app, Threads, saying that he's optimistic not just about the launch, but also the trajectory. He also highlighted how the app's innovation relates to Meta's so-called year of efficiency, saying that the product was built by a relatively small team on a tight budget, and that the cultural changes at Meta are leading them to build higher quality products faster, saying that Threads is the biggest example yet. The year of efficiency was always about two different goals, becoming an even stronger technology company and improving our financial results so we can invest aggressively in our ambitious long-term roadmap. Uh, now that we've gotten through the major layoffs, the rest of 2023 will be about creating stability for employees, uh, removing barriers that slow us down, introducing new AI-powered tools to speed us up, and, and so on. While Meta stresses efficiencies, the company also said that its 2024 costs will increase as they anticipate higher infrastructure costs, growing payroll expenses as they hire more employees into technical roles. And they do expect operating losses in that Metaverse Reality Labs division to increase meaningfully year over year. But Zuckerberg talked about the massive top line potential around AI powered features helping everything from creating ads to AI-powered content recommendations, driving engagement, to AI helping businesses with customer service. Zuckerberg also announced progress making money from Reels. Reels uh, is, is a key part of this discovery engine, and Reels plays exceed 200 billion per day across Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we're seeing good progress on Reels monetization as well, with the annual revenue run rate across our apps now exceeding $10 billion, uh, up from $3 billion last fall. $10 billion, hard one to miss. Now, I'll be talking about all this and more with Meta CFO Susan Lee. She's going to be joining me tomorrow in the 11 a.m. Eastern hour of CNBC. This is actually her first interview since she's taken on that CFO role. Brian? Very cool. First interview. Congrats, Julia Borston. Thank you. All right, so there's plenty to like in Meta's results, but there was one glaring number that kind of caught our eye, and that is Meta's losses on what Julia talked about, that Reality Labs division, one that develops all the virtual and augmented reality technology for the metaverse that apparently nobody's actually using. The division has now lost 21 billion since the beginning of last year. Billion, for context, that would be Facebook's one division losing the equivalent of an entire Southwest Airlines or two Paramounts, or two and a half Hasbros. With all that in mind, let's bring in the analyst who called Meta the, quote, comeback story of the year. And he was, he was right. Budweiser Securities Managing Director Dan Ives. Dan, good to have you back. I'm not picking on Facebook or Meta. 21 billion. They're losing. Like, you either got to shut that down or fix it. 
What do, you, what do you make of that $21 billion loss number? Look, I mean, they're spending money like a 1980s rock star, you know, in terms of on that division. And I think Hopefully just, with the longer lifespan. And, but ultimately, I mean, for Meta, they made a strategic decision. And this is a massive comeback. But ultimately, investors need to see over the coming years that that strategy ultimately you know, ends up materializing. But right now, that's going to be an uphill battle. But this is, Brian, it's a Rocky Balboa-like comeback for Zuckerberg and Meta. I'm trying to understand why, okay? Uh, And I've read your research, by the way, so I understand the reasons why you like the stock, and you've been very right, and the stock has printed money this year. Threads, I I, I deleted the app. I don't know. It was supposed to kill Twitter. I'm not sure if anybody's... I'm sure there's people on Threads. It doesn't appear to be gaining a lot of traction. $21 billion loss here. Is this really, like, just a... Facebook's users went up. I mean, we forget that Facebook is the bread and butter and it appears to be still just taking names. Yeah, I think to your, it's, there's two reasons. One, digital advertising has come back. And if you go back even six, nine months ago, given the dark storm we were going to see from a macro, I think that surprised investors. And we saw it with Alphabet as well. So I think that's overall bullish, not just for, for meta, but for big tech. The other thing here is the efficiency. Mm. I mean, even as much as they're spending there, they have cut significant costs across the board. And Zuckerberg really went from, you go back nine, 12 months ago, no street credibility, to now they're almost knighting him, you know, relative why, to what we Why? What, what happened? What hap- here, here, I'm going to make an analogy that people aren't going to like, but that's why I'm going to make it. I feel like AI is like EVs. Everybody says the future, but we're just going to lose billions on it now. In the meantime, the the Yukon, the Denali, the F-150, which is Facebook, is still keeping keeping food on the family table, if you know what I mean. Look, you could do a name change all you want. That's the hearts and lungs of the story. It's, it Facebook. Comes to, it's Boring Facebook. old Facebook. Boring, and as much as we could, could, look, they're spending more on AI than Metaverse. And, and I think that just the reality here is that Facebook, in terms of engagement, mm. in terms of users, in terms of advertising, that's what investors are focused on. And that's why I think the reason the stock just had such a comeback is because it comes, it, that is the ultimate nuts and bolts of this story. What is Facebook, and I say Facebook for a reason, what is Facebook going to do with AI? That's where I, I, I kind of struggle. I can understand a Microsoft because you're just, you're working, you need an answer to something, you plug it in, right? What is, what is AI, what could it do for Facebook? I mean, the, the secret sauce, ultimately, it's really to get more targeted advertising. I mean, the goal is that they're going to get, fr- I mean, they could talk around it, but the reality, they're trying to use AI to further monetize, to further target that ultimately down the road, will be better for advertisers. That's really the golden goose when it comes to Facebook, as opposed to, let's say, Microsoft and others from a cloud perspective. But again, this is biggest transformation we've seen in 30 years. And Facebook, I mean, you saw them mention AI probably every fifth word. Oh, you didn't hear our thing from last night? Did you see? I, yeah. I, I don't expect I you to watch the show every night. Wait, do we have it, guys? Can we run that thing again? It was fantastic. That was like 145 times. Yeah, but our team did an amazing job. It was 145 mentions between, and this is all the execs, not just the CEOs, between Alphabet and Microsoft. So far on a macro level, because um, listen, valuations of this market, the overall market, Dan, you know, they're not, I don't want to say stretched, but they're not cheap. Sure. We need earnings to come in and guidance to come in good. Have you been happy with Meta? Have you been happy with Microsoft? You've been happy with Google? I think it's been flexed to muscles in terms of for big tech. I mean, even on the knee jerk, what we saw in Microsoft, cloud, you're seeing actually upticks. Digital advertising, you're seeing upticks. So across the board, I think this sends the bears into hibernation mode. In my opinion, big techs come through. 
And I think this really means bright green light for tech second half of the year in terms of what we're seeing here. Not just a green light, a bright green light. I view, look, in my opinion, it's a table pounder for software and chip second half of the year because what we're seeing with a risk on big tech, many were yelling fire in a crowded theater. Ultimately, they've came and, and sort of flexed the muscles here. Yeah, and if there was a fire, it was put out quickly and everyone's sitting enjoying the movie, apparently at an IMAX. Dan Ives, thank you. Thanks for having Good me. Good calls, by the way. All right. Still ahead, speaking of EVs, we've got exclusive picks of one of the rarest things in the world, the Tesla Cybertruck. And it's maybe not gonna look how you think it is. We'll show it to you next. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. Look at that. The Loch Ness Monster. The Loch Ness Monster. Bigfoot. Maybe even the abominable snowman. And now this. A Tesla Cybertruck spotted in the wild. My good friend Dave sent me these from Palo Alto, California. He took them himself yesterday. Now, that is a Cybertruck, but it's the Cybertruck with maybe the auto equivalent of a fake mustache. Like many car companies rolling out a new model Tesla apparently, maybe not, but looks like masking some of the lines and trims of the truck, adding those wheel flares and even some very F-150 looking taillights. But no mistaking, that sloped roof stands out from a mile away. My buddy said the truck is big, really big, and he drives a pickup himself. So thanks for those pictures. By the way, posted them. They've done over like a million and a half views. We're still waiting on a release date and pricing on the truck from Elon Musk. But last week on Tesla's earnings call, Musk did say he plans on delivering some of the new pickups later on this year. We did reach out to Tesla for comment on that, I'll say apparent Cybertruck sighting. We have yet to hear back. I don't think they actually have a PR department at Tesla. Anyway, joining us now is widely followed Tesla watcher and future fund managing partner and co-founder Gary Black. So Gary, listen, I got a lot of creative comments on Twitter, X, whatever, on the Cybertruck, everything from I love it, can't wait to take ownership to something about a Pontiac Aztec Honda Ridgeline love child. Anyway, we did a little poll on this. Look at this. 50 people, 50% of the people said they love it. 33% said they hate it. I don't know, 16% said they're not sure. I don't know how people are not sure of anything, but do you take uh, solace from the pictures? and from the public uh, small sample reaction. Well, it's big, it's bold, and it's gorgeous. And what you've got is a million nine of pre-orders. That's a huge number. And what's gonna happen is this thing's gonna start deliveries probably end of third quarter. It's be priced, the base model will be priced right below 50,000 bucks. And it's gonna start rolling across America. It's gonna be like a rolling billboard and people are gonna see it. And they're gonna be like, wow, that's really interesting. And they're gonna go to the website and they're gonna order a Model 3 or a Model Y or a Model S or a Model X or a Cybertruck, and you're gonna produce this whole halo effect 
which is exactly what happened back in 20 when uh, the Model Y first came out and people didn't know what to make of it. This is even more grand because it's not going to cannibalize any of the base products because Tesla has never been in the pickup truck business. So you're not going to cannibalize anything. So it's going to be a home run for Tesla and it's going to really catapult the stock. And it's going to really catapult it, volumes into next year. Well, I, I appreciate the optimism. Let's throw the pictures back up. I want our audience to look at them again. This is not the full Cybertruck. The trim is kind of hidden. That's the video of what they've advertised. We're showing now, Gary, which is not really what the picture is because they're trying to mask some things. We certainly get that. Uh, but it's it's um, it's a unique looking vehicle. It's, I, I'm not sure what you can do with it. Right. You can tow stuff, I guess. Uh What's the purpose of this, I, I think? It, it, it will, it's positioned as a pickup. Pickup truck lovers, especially if they're a little younger, because the 65-year-old may not like it, but the 40 to 50-something pickup truck owner will love it. It's very different. It's powerful. It'll go from zero to 60 in two and a half seconds. It'll tow as much as an F-150 does. And I'm telling you, once it's out there, people are not going to be resistant. If you stand next to I'm a big guy. I'm 6'2". You know, and I stand next to it and the thing just dwarfs me. It's huge, but it's beautiful. When you look at it, there is nothing else on the market like it. And so go out three or four years from now, you're going to have this cyber truck. And let's suppose it's doing 350 to 400,000 units a year. And the street's only looking for about 150,000 a year. So that's worth yeah. 60 cents a show in earning. You could then bring out a smaller one if you wanted to that looks like that, that, you know, would basically sell very well in Europe or in Asia as well. So I think it's just, I think people are missing the whole point in this, that not just do people want a Cybertruck, but just did being out there, it's going to create a halo effect for the entire Tesla franchise, just like what happened when okay. Model Y came out in 20 and 2020. And you remember what happened to Tesla stock price in 20. It went up sevenfold because everybody got excited about Model Y, new TAM, incremental volume. Volumes went from 36% growth in 2020 to 87% in 2021. You're going to see the same thing happen next year with the entire Tesla franchise. Yeah, my only concern, listen, you know, as a guy that tows a lot of stuff, it's going to, the range is not going to be good. So, you know, no electric car can tow anything for very, for very long. But that's this will. I, this will. The battery is going to be huge, Brian. How big? When like, how far do you, I know we don't know all the specs, but the F 150 yeah. Lightning, if I towed my small boat, I'm getting like 150 miles and I got to unplug the trailer to back the car and to charge it. Like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that for the price. Is this going to be better than that? Can I make yes. it from, can I make it from, you know, if I'm a rich tech bro and that's who's going to buy these at first, can I make it from Atherton to my chalet in Tahoe on a charge? You'll be able to go even towing something. And again, you have a double motor, a two motor uh, cyber truck, a tri-motor cyber truck, and a quad motor cyber truck. And it's going to have a huge battery. You'll be able to go at least 300 miles on the small one, probably 500 miles on the big one. And you're right. We haven't heard uh, specs given out, but I think it's going to be such a compelling value for a pickup truck owner. A lot of people are going to buy one and a lot of people are going to be very excited about it. And they're going to tell their friends and then everybody's going to want a Cybertruck. Just like, think about Model Y. This thing came out in 2020. It's now the best-selling vehicle in the world. Think about that. Yeah, this, outselling, this I think I saw a story outselling Toyota now in California, but I feel like it's a coastal phenomenon so far. The middle of the country, mm. Model Y is not, Brian. Model Y is the best-selling vehicle in the world for the first quarter and likely in the second quarter. And again, with Cybertruck, a million nine pre-orders, and yeah, anybody, including me, put a pre-order in. Mm -hmm. But I would bet, and this is what Tesla's telling its its suppliers, 
they're going to do 375,000 a year. Once they get ramped up, they're going to build this thing in Texas in the Austin plant. 375,000 a year is a lot of trucks. Yeah. Just think about it. So it's going to be huge. And your your poll is exactly what I'm finding when I ask pickup truckers. I have I come from a family where everybody drives a pickup truck. It's you know the the the, the you know the, the the woodlands of New Jersey. And everybody, all my family members, they if if you're under fifty, yeah. you love. It. If you're over fifty, you're like mm, not sure about it. Well, I'm I'm on I'm in the latter camp now, and we'll, we'll let you go, Gary Black. I'm still deciding. I still can see the Pontiac Aztec love child angle to it as well, but obviously with slightly better. Better technology. Uh, Gary Black, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, folks, whatever you think, check out the picture. Anyway, up next, can AI save San Francisco from itself? Deirdre Bosa with exclusive remarks from the mayor, London Breed. Plus, he held the at X handle on Twitter for 16 years until Elon Musk apparently just took it for nothing. That longtime user joins us with the story you got to hear ahead. All right, welcome back to Last Call. One-on-one sit-down interview with San Francisco Mayor London Breed. Deirdre Bosa asked her about the city's reputation, about taxes, and what else? AI. Deirdre's here. Deirdre, great interview, an important time. What'd you learn? Well, Brian, you know this. Post-pandemic, San Francisco has got a bad rap. You see it in media reports, perceptions of a city spiraling into a doom loop, and You do see it on the streets here as well. You've got homelessness, open-air drug markets, crime, etc. But there is this new hope that artificial intelligence can be the next tech boom. And already, you will see certain areas of the city, like Hayes Valley, becoming known as Cerebral Valley, attract AI startups and talent. But I also talked to a lot of investors and business leaders on the ground. Many of them share that optimism, but they say that we need to see more urgency, more action from Mayor London Breed to make sure that it's not just AI startups, but the bigger, more profitable tech companies that are coming back to the city or stay here. One VC told me that it would be negligent to open a company in the city because of the tax structure. So when I sat down with Mayor Breed, I asked her to envision a world where bloated bureaucracies and dissenting supervisors weren't such an obstacle. What would she do? Well, first of all, I would, if, if, if I could do it tomorrow morning, I would get rid of most taxes on the books. I want to also be clear that businesses need to pay their fair share, but not at the expense of losing business as a whole. So I would completely reform the tax system to make it more fair, to make it more equitable, and to make it work for both the city and those businesses. I would also make sure that the streets and and the city is clean and it's safe because we need to make sure that as people come here on public transportation, as they move around the city and using different modes of transportation, transportation, that they're getting to work safe and they want to be here. And then... How would you do that? Well, part of it is making sure I have sufficient police officers, ambassadors, making sure that we are dedicating our resources to those areas, which, by the way, our street cleaning teams, we've gotten more teams in various neighborhood corridors, and people have been noticing a difference mm-hmm. in seeing the streets clean, but we do have or continue to have a problem with uh, people who are um, using and selling drugs in public. Um, just recently with some of our public safety initiatives, which I'm really excited about, is we made the hard decision that has become very controversial to arrest not just the drug dealers, but the drug users. Uh, What we've seen um, last year, we made about overall, uh, as it relates to drug uh, dealing, 
um, and using, which was hardly even something we would do, but 566 arrests in last year alone. And already in July, we're almost at 500 because we are cracking down on a lot of the illegal activities right. that are happening in that market. So I think we need to clean up our streets. We need to make some hard decisions. So she hits on a lot of pain points there, Brian. And of course, though, she does need to deal with bureaucracy and different ideas on how to clean up the city, which isn't going to be easy. Um, but some people say that people here are sort of at a breaking point. They're getting fed up. And that is when real change will happen. You know, Deirdre, we hear, listen, we hear so much you go online. I've been in the city twice since COVID. It, it was parts of it were fantastic parts. You, you literally wanted to cry. And I'm not talking about the Tenderloin. I'm talking about Union Square, like the heart of tourism. You work there. We have an office there. What, what do you think? What, what do you see on a, daily, on a daily basis? Do you feel safe? Yeah, so I've lived here for about seven years, so I do see a lot of the good and bad, and I think that both things can be true. You can have areas of the city that you don't really want to walk around, and I would say that was probably the case before the pandemic as well. I think that Mayor Breed has done something interesting here. For such a liberal city that for so long has sort of supported drug use, um, you know, had issues in dealing with the homelessness problem, to hear her say that now we're going to crack down, we're going to make arrests, we're going to put more police officers on the street. It's a little bit jarring because it is so, so opposite from what we have seen mm -hmm. over the last few years for such a liberal city. But I will tell you, the people in business I speak to here, many of them are fed up. Even some who have moved people back, least huge amounts of office space, they feel like they're being taxed incrementally for each person they're bringing back to the city. So there's a few things going on. She says she's trying to make this better and she's mm -hmm. trying to fix things. There's some opposition. So it's a really difficult situation. Both things are true. It's not as bad as it seems, um, but certainly business community needs more reason to come yeah. back. A lot of them are fed up. And uh, based on what I saw with my own eyes, a lot of them are boarded up because they just gave up and left. And it's it's bad. Deirdre Bosa, thank you very much. By the way, a CNN was in a, was in a drug store the other day for 30 minutes. While the TV crew was in the store for 30 minutes, the store was robbed three times while they were in the store. All right, moving to a C-suite change and apparently a hole in the gap has been closed. Investors making money, the retailer found a new CEO. It's the now former exec from Mattel who was credited with Barbie's big rebrand. The gap has been without a chief executive for more than a year and investors of the retailer could use all the help they can get. They've wiped out nearly 80% of investor value in 10 years. So can this Mattel executive rescued the company. Let's bring in Wall Street Journal reporter who broke the story, Suzanne Kapner. Suzanne, good to have you on. Great scoop. What can you tell us about this new CEO? It's a big job at The Gap. Well, thank, thank you. It's good to be here. And it's really exciting to see The Gap bringing in a branding executive, somebody who could potentially and hopefully breathe new life into these brands that have become, you know, they are iconic, but they have become tired over the years. And if he can do for Barbie what, uh, do for Gap what he's done for Barbie, it's going to be, you know, really exciting to see. Yeah, and I understand that Mattel, I understand from your reporting, uh, Mattel is not, not real pleased. <laughs> Well, sure, they're sorry to see him go. He's been, um, you know, a great asset for them over, you know, two decades. And it's it's hard to lose somebody like that. Yeah, it's it's is there one thing that you could pinpoint with your sourcing and the people you talk to that is 
The biggest problem at Gap, is it just people don't want to pay, you know, for a T-shirt in a retail store anymore? Like what's what's is there one thing that is the biggest issue? Because it's it's one of the most well-known clothing brands in the United States easily. Well, with most retailers, when they get into problems, it's product. And Gap needs to have compelling, relevant product that people are excited to buy. And it just hasn't met that mark for a long time now. Um, they also have operational challenges that they've been dealing with. They were sitting on too much inventory. They, they've had problems with the basics, basic blocking and tackling of retailing. And their current chairman, Bob Martin, has been doing a lot of mm -hmm. work behind the scenes to get them, you know, in better fighting shape to sort of make way for when Richard comes in, he can sort of jump right in and sort of unleash the creativity that is there at the company. Suzanne Kapner of The Wall Street Journal. Suzanne, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a nice evening. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right, coming up. We're going to head to the beautiful Berkshires of Massachusetts, where a new deal is shaking up the world of luxury hospitality and when you hear the term luxury hospitality, it pretty much automatically means that's where you're going to find <laughs> Contessa Brewer. I know how to pick them, don't I, Brian? You know, Canyon Ranch really built a global brand on health and wellness. But to grow that business, it turned to a company that was born on the Las Vegas Strip. After this break, we're coming back with an exclusive interview with two CEOs and a really innovative shift in strategy. I head on last call. All right, let's talk real estate, commercial real estate. Now, you may not have heard of Vici Properties, but you definitely know some of their stuff. They're actually the largest landowner on the Vegas Strip. Their portfolio includes the land under Caesars Palace, Mandalay Bay, and MGM Grand. These are tenants, by the way, that are paying their rent. They also own four awesome golf courses. Vici reporting sales grew 36% from last year. Company raised guidance and... They're getting more involved with Resort Spa Canyon Ranch. Contessa Brewer is live in Lenox, Massachusetts with Vici's CEO. Contessa. Brian, thank you. And in fact, we're at Canyon Ranch in Lenox, Massachusetts with Ed Petoniak of Vici and the owner of Canyon Ranch, John Goff. Uh, so you've made an innovative new deal that's really a departure for REITs. You're deciding, Ed, that you're going to invest in your future tenant Tell me why this is uh, an opportunity for Vici and, and a little bit more about the deal. Yeah, so when, you, when, you, when it comes to understanding real estate, you want to start with the way people interact with places. And you want to ask about commercial real estate, which has been much in the news the last six months. Are people going to change the way they interact with the real estate? Will it strengthen, weaken, or sustain itself? We think that wellness, life enhancement, is one of the biggest secular trends we're going to see over the next 10, 20 years. We wanted to put capital behind Canyon Ranch to give it the firepower to grow its operating platform so that together we can add more resorts to an incredible portfolio. We've heard of that before, like Simon Properties bailing out anchor tenants to help keep their business afloat. But this is really an offensive move on your part. John, give me a sense of why you wanted to look at Vici for financing, were you not finding it from traditional sources from the banks? Well, clearly there were financing alternatives, although they've been diminished as of late. Uh, but what, what I found with Ed and his team is they really took the time to understand this brand, to understand our company. And they've been, we've been engaged in this for a year. Uh, the first was the announced deal where they finance 
our Canyon Ranch Austin, which is under development now. Right. It will open in 2025. Uh, we took that relationship and we grew it and we decided we need to just, we can turn Canyon Ranch into an asset light business where it's an operating company in uh, a, a brand company that's been around for 40 years, but it's more relevant today than ever before. So as I understand it, there will be $150 million to refinance existing debt, $150 million that you can put to work acquiring other properties or, or, or making your business grow, and then the opportunity, the, the right to finance any future deals as well, along with the right to buy those properties in Tucson or here at Lenox, Massachusetts. What do you think the future of Canyon Ranch looks like with that kind of backing and that kind of partner? Well, while I don't want to put Ed on the spot here, we have talked very openly about the scope of this. And the scope is not what we've done to date, which is 500 million. We really want to see this grow to 2 billion plus in terms of capital allocated to Canyon Ranch over the next five, six, seven years. And I think that's very possible. That was definitely not in the news release that you sent out after the closing bell, $2 billion. Is that possible? Oh, I think it very much is. Again, if you think of wellness and life enhancement as a secular trend, when you think there's only two existing resorts and soon to be a third in Austin, when you think about wellness globally, whether it be North America or Europe, we absolutely think that can happen. We also think the next couple of years could be very propitious in terms of the opportunities to acquire conventional resorts and convert them to Canyon Ranches, given what is uh, going to be the refinancing challenge that conventional resorts are going to face over the next few years when about almost 40 billion of CMBS alone comes due on American hotels and resorts. All right, well, earnings today were very good. You managed to grow revenues 36% over last year. Give me a sense of where the re second half of the year goes for you, Ed. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, uh, Contessa, we did uh, up our guidance for the year. We see a strong year ahead of us in, in the remainder of 2023. And obviously, we're very excited with the relationships we have with the likes of Canyon Ranch, MGM and Caesars and others to continue to grow in 2024. Yeah. Caesars announces earnings next week. We should get a look at how Las Vegas is doing there as well. John Goff, thank you so much. Ed Petoniak, nice to see you. Thanks thank for having you, us Contessa. here. Thank you, Contessa. Brian. Another tough gig for Brewer. All right, great stuff, Contessa. Thank you very much. Coming up, he was the holder of Twitter's at X handle for 16 years until Elon Musk and X just took it from him and offered him, like, some T-shirts in return. He's going to join us with the story coming up. All right, welcome back. It is time for a quick last call watch list, and we're looking at UPS because the head of the Teamsters speaking out following their big labor deal with the shipping company. Here's union president Sean O'Brien on CNBC. We were putting a lot of pressure on UPS uh, by demonstrating our solidarity. And I think we proved, not only UPS, but corporate America and everybody else, that labor can be a market changer. And I think UPS finally realized that it needed to reward the members that made them tremendous success and ha helped them earn $100 billion. And they are being rewarded. A full-time UPS worker will now average $49 an hour thanks to the deal. Congrats to them. Current workers will get a $275 more an hour this year and $750 an hour more during the five-year contract. The deal still has to be ratified by the more than 300,000 UPS union members. All right, meantime, Twitter is officially a thing of the past, at least as a company. The former Twitter handle is now X, but not without some roadblocks. The covered X handle was actually held by 
somebody else for 16 years. And if you're wondering whether Elon Musk or the company bought the handle from the holder, they did not. Said the company informed the current user via email that his handle would be changed due to its affiliation with the new parent company. As a result, he will, quote, be provided with a selection of X merchandise and an exclusive visit to X's HQ. Now, we have reached out to X for comment, but have not received a response. Joining us now for more is the owner of that original X handle. He is the co-founder of event photography company Orange Photography, Gene X. Wong, Gene, thank you for coming on CNBC. Did they really just, I mean, here's any snatch it from you? Yeah, I mean, I got the email. That was about the uh, extent of the outreach. So um, just got the email and that's, they kind of said that they owned it as a part of the, you know, the company. So um, that was all I got, which was, which was really something I suspected might, might be the case. So I wasn't overly surprised about it. You don't even sound that angry about it. I'd be looking for some cash, Gene. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking there's a, a possibility of that, right? So um, I kind of was was thinking, you know, what would what would be fair? Um, but obviously, I, I didn't really know the best way to reach out to them. So I was la- letting them reach out to me. And then, you know, I just got kind of the automated. It wasn't automated, but it was just came from support at Twitter.com. Um, email saying, you know, I think what you just showed it on the screen. So uh, I did reply back and uh, I think I haven't heard back yet, but I, I hopefully we'll hear something shortly. So we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. But so far, it's just just those things. Well, I want to know what your new handle is now, by the way. But were you a pretty active user on Twitter? Because I do know if there's a period where, uh, you know, that you don't do anything, they could tell you're inactive. Yeah, I was pretty active, but more recently I was less active, just mostly because I've just been as a kind of just overall using it less on the posting side. And I was doing more just kind of reading and keeping up with things through the site. That's kind of how I use it more recently. Um, Back in the day, I tweeted a lot more, but nowadays I I kind of use it less on a day-to-day basis for posting and mostly more for reading and, you know, keeping up with the news and things like that. But you were, it's like you didn't post for five years, something like that. Oh, no, no. I, I would post, you know, irregularly, re- regularly. So kind of like, you know, here and there, there was no schedule. I just kind of posted when I wanted to. But it wasn't like an inactive account that wasn't there for six months or whatever. They have some sort of limit if you don't use the account within a certain amount of time. Is that inactive. your new handle that I'm seeing? At X, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, eight. That's the one that they kind of converted it to. But they have offered to, to you know, I, I haven't gotten back to them with what, um, you know, what option I want. But they said you can look at some of the inactive accounts and try to find something. But yeah. it might be like those old AOL days when you had to get, you know, Gene something. Is there an at Gene X Wong on Twitter? I mean, not a lot of people have there, X there in their middle initial. I haven't actually checked that. Yeah, yes, it is. Um, I haven't checked for that. I've, I've been a little too lazy and busy with just dealing with everything that's going on to actually look for yeah. something so gene really appreciate you telling us your story and by the way if you do accept the tour reach back out to us let us know we'd love to see how it goes thank you okay i will i will all right be well thank you all right pop quiz do you know what happened 248 years ago today the post office was established the first postmaster general of course benjamin franklin he laid the foundation of many aspects of america's mail system Fast forward, there are more than 31,000 post offices across America, processed nearly half the world's mail volume. Last year, they made nearly $79 billion in revenue, but still somehow lost money. Thanks for watching. We'll see you on Thursday night. Be well. Shark Tank is back.
I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.